Hi, Jess. Hi. I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. So what are we doing today? We are doing an unscripted podcast. Ooh, why? Because we didn't prepare any notes. That's exactly right. So today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to try this episode. It might be a little different from the usual. But what we'll be doing is talking about our side projects that we've been working on recently and see, I mean, discuss what they are and what the interesting bits are and what the interesting problems to solve are for that particular domain. And maybe there will be some interesting content that will be discovered, unearthed from this conversation. Yeah, honestly, worst case, if it's not interesting, we'll have another podcast in two weeks. Yeah, that's true. So just, uh, just got to sit tight, listener. Skip this one. <laughs> I'm joking. Don't skip this one. Please. I mean, you can skip it too. That's fine. Yeah, but we'll see the stats and... Be sad. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on with it. Jess, what have you been working on? So, well, I just finished a project I think was kind of interesting. I called it Rust Ski, like Rust as in, in the language. and Ski as in like S key. So what's Rust? Isn't that what I get on my car? Yes, exactly. So I painted some uh, S key symbols with the Rust on your car. Oh, what? Where did you paint them? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. Honestly, so my goal was to do um, S key art from actual pictures, and I used Rust to code that. And Rust is a programming language. Cool. I like Rust. We all do here. Yeah. Um, so what motivated you to do this? So I wanted to get more familiar with Rust because it's, let's say, harder to get into than other languages. Yeah, it's a bit more of an upfront cost. Yeah, exactly. But in the end, I really want to love Rust because all the benefits it gives you are really nice. Do you want to talk about those, actually? Sure, sure, sure. So, so for the one that doesn't know, Rust is a system programming language. So think it's something like a C++. So it's made for low level, but you can do some nice abstraction with it when you know what you're doing. So it's fast, no garbage collector. So it's even faster. Um, the, it's memory safe. So this means that as long as you don't use unsafe code, which is like a block as long as you don't use it you won't normally well, you won't ever have memory corruption which all other uh, system programming languages will have so for example no buffer overflow no that's the only one i'm thinking about right now yeah there's dangling pointers um, oh you know pointer exceptions yeah null pointer exceptions i think there are still like a few weird if i remember right there's still some chances of memory corruption happening um and one thing is that like they don't check. Oh well, actually, it's not memory corruption, but like you can index into a random spot in an array, and they'll let you, but it'll just panic instead. So like they do like it's not really like. Well, I feel it's it's a good trade-off. Yes. Because panicking, well, it will crash your application, but it won't let an attacker yeah. exploit your code. Yeah. So there are some things which just aren't realistic to provide as part of the like static mm -hmm. compiler. Um, but, but yeah, it's memory safe. It's also thread safe too. So they have a lot of types and constructs, which will let you pass objects around through threads. 
uh, and know that you're not causing some kind of data race somewhere. So yeah, so as long as the compiler is compiling, you know your shredded code won't do crazy things. Yep. Um, and REST, I mean, now it's now we're going on to the REST bandwagon, the REST train is becoming the REST episode. So one of the trade-offs for all of this REST awesomeness is that the compiler is usually is slower compared to other compilers, say Go or C or C++, C++ yeah. um, because it needs to do all this static analysis during the compilation phase. Um, but usually that means for a faster binary, and that it can do more analysis. It can, like, it emits IR and intermediate representation, which can be optimized in different ways. And you have usually, like, the high, the types in Rust are usually more of a like functional. They they usually give off more information than what you would get in C or C plus plus, and so you can make some sort of analyses better <laughs> yeah. because you have more information to play with, right? But one of the reason it's not widely used is that the target platforms is not as huge as like let's say C. Yeah. It's getting much better. Yeah, it's much better, but much better these days. Yeah. And the compiler takes a lot of RAM. So unlike super small uh, machine, you can't compile Rust itself. So this is not good enough for some uh, operating systems that needs to be able to compile its own tool chain. Yeah, it's still very young as a language. I, I'm sh I don't doubt that it'll get there one day. Yeah. But it's and it's constantly improving. So so tell us more about your projects. Like you're using Rust to build an ASCII representation of a picture. Yeah. What's involved in doing that? My goal was to take pictures. Let's say my face, which is pretty much everything I tried. So I have a lot of versions of my face with characters in it. So take a picture and do like small squares and transform them in letters and color them to give some resemblance of the right color of the picture. So one of the reasons I took Rust was that it's good with parallelizable code and I knew my algorithm would be parallelizable. So for every square, which is like a tile I think of 12 pixel per, per 12 pixel on my picture, I send it to a specific thread, and this thread is responsible to find which letter is the closest to the representation and to find the right color. How did you do that? Some sort of edge detection? No. So I went for like the dumbest solution, and the dumbest solution was to first I think take my letter, I print it in a square of 12 per 12 pixel, and afterward I go through every single pixel and I compare it with the grayscale base image, and I do like a, a diff. And the one with the highest resemblance is the right letter. Because it, it does seem like it's more of a like density thing, then, right? Like some characters are more dense, and every square is like you're taking the average. And no, not it's not really density, because every, I compare every pixel with a pixel at the same position. Ah, I understand. So it's okay. It's not an average of all yeah, your pixels. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I take the average at the end of like the result of every pixel. Okay. And for the color, I try to take the the average luminosity of the the square, and this becomes the background of my letter. And I color my letter, which is the average of the color of the the square. Hmm. And this becomes the color. 
Nice. Lots of math. Lots of averaging. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of average. Um, this and at the end, I was able to use the super awesome Rayon library, yes. which did all the magic trading for me. So the only thing I had to do it was to represent my algorithm as an iterator, and I just said par iter, so do the iteration in parallel, and everything was done for me. That's so magical. Yeah. So it took me some time, because initially my code was like for loops, so I had to transform that into iterators, but in the end it was... Uh, Pretty nice. And if I remember right, par iter won't let, won't supply all of the iterator methods. Like there are some that you can't do because they're not amenable to parallelization. But so I don't think it'll always work for you to take a random iterator and turn it into a parallel iterator. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, that I mean that library is just fantastic. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I use it like a map reduce, so the par iter part for like the map, and at the end when I wanted the result. I did, uh, oh, what's the name of the function in Rust? What, reduce combine? Combine. Um, is it combine? I think it's combine. Or no, sorry, collect. Collect. Yeah. So that's it. So in the end, I just use collect to do like one big vector that is not parallelized anymore. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Very cool. So that was my project. <laughs> Map reduce. That's something we should talk about at some point. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I mean, it, I, it has to do with parallelization and concurrent code generally, right? Well, I guess we were planning to do a podcast about that, so. Yeah, also sort of plays in, I mean, sort of plays into distributed as well. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the point, right? So what was your project here you did? Well, well I haven't done, I, I, I'm the like serial project finder. Like I, I always, I'm like, man, it would be great if I did this project and I never ever finish projects. So this time around, I wanted to pick something that was small enough that I would be able to finish it. And yet I found a way to spin it off into two more projects. <laughs> um, but initially what I was trying to do was, um, I was actually editing a video for something totally unrelated uh, and had to write an SRT file for the subtitles for that video. Uh, and discovered that there doesn't seem to be any like specification for this. There's no like description or document to describe how one should go about creating an SRT file. It's sort of just like tribal knowledge that's passed down. And there's one reference implementation in I think FFmpeg or something like that. But I mean that could change at any point in time, and it's all written in C, and like there's a bunch of crazy regexes, and so it's not like. Oh yeah, it's not something that like I wanted to <laughs> reverse engineer in a sense. So um, for other projects like let's say VLC, do they copy the code? I think or? they yeah, I think they just like shell out to FFmpeg or use the library or something. Uh -huh. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. But um, so I previously did a compilers project, and so I had a little bit of knowledge in like tokenizing and parsing and validating that it's a correct syntax. Uh, so I figured I'd make a little static, well, a binary, which would take a subtitle file and validate it or like shift all the timestamps or multiplex two together, basically just manipulate subtitle files. Why would you need to shift the timestamps? Um, let's say for some reason you're like, let's say you're writing the subtitles to a movie and you got them all right, but you wanted to or, or like, I don't know, you forgot, <laughs> I don't know, like you could, 
shift it all because you forgot the opening scene or something. Right. Or like there's an opening scene in a special DVD cut, but you don't want to have to go and redo the entire thing. I, I know a lot of players will let you do the, like mm -hmm. we'll do the math on the client, uh, but if you wanted to produce a new SRT without copying the whole thing and manually adding it, um, you can just shift all the timestamps. You can also, like, I was also thinking about doing a, like, not just shift by a certain amount, but by the length of the thing that you would like. So, like, if you're, if you're watching a movie that's an hour long or something, you could specify, okay, I want uh, to shift it so that by, at the beginning, there's not much of a shift, but towards the end, there's increasingly more of a shift. Oh, like a ratio? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And why would you need that? I don't know, if you're like watching things in slow motion or in fast forward or something. I don't know, there's not much of a utility to it, but I mean, while it's there, why not, right? But honestly, I've seen in the wild when I was watching like movies or videos on VLC that like the subtitle would get like out of sync really fast after like let's say 10 minutes so i guess this shift could be useful yeah exactly yeah for whatever reason someone was writing the subtitle on like 1.1 speed while watching it or something i i don't know but it's all basically just about like yeah validating for one that it's a good thing um and doing these sort of manipulations to it nice and what did you learn from it um i learned that huh, one thing i learned was actually um I would always do, usually to do, at least traditionally in compilers, um, it makes sense to write a state machine for how you're going to like tokenize, mm -hmm. how you're going to generate tokens out of a source file. And uh, you usually do this by writing some sort of non-deterministic or deterministic finite automaton, NFA, DFA, which is basically just a giant state machine. Um, but I'd always do this by hand or through some random library. Uh, but uh, I knew GraphViz was a thing, but never looked into it. And what is, it? is the library and uh, Yeah, so it's like a series of tools which will read this dot programming language. It's called dot. Um, and it'll read this, which is some kind of markup for specifying an arbitrary graph. Okay. And will spit out an image for you okay. of that That's graph. Um, so you can actually like write like an it's not markdown but some kind of markup language uh, what you expect your state machine or your graph to look like and um, it'll spit out the image for you so I started doing it with that and then my second project idea was to take an input of a graphviz file which represents an NFA which is a non-deterministic finite automaton and spit out a DFA, uh, and for those that aren't familiar with theoretical computer science, it's more like these two are equivalent, but you need to be able to convert from one to the other. Uh, actually, well, like, I, I think like NFA is sort of like a superset, but they can express the same constructs. And the library is not giving you this tool right no, now? Oh, no, 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 because it represents, it's, all it does is like take specification, spit out image. Right, so... Okay, so it, no modification. No modifications, no logic. Like right. it's, it's meant to be used just for what you like. If you want to specify what your image should look like, hmm. but well, that's a nice project. Yeah. So if you just take like, like if you just want to think of your thing as an NFA, but actually generate a DFA for you afterwards, mm -hmm. um, you would be able to do that. So that I haven't started yet, but 
Uh, it's what I'm planning to work on next. Once that SRT thing is over with. What's left on it? Um, a lot. Uh, I did the tokenization part, so that part it's like spitting out the right tokens. Had to kind of reverse engineer the FFM bag implementation. <laughs> that like, I just like tried to break a subtitle file and give it to VLC or and a few different players and see what broke <laughs> between all the implementations. Uh, and why not reading directly the code from FFM bag? I could, I could, but I'd rather have like. Like that implementation might change tomorrow, you know. Like yeah, I, but you're brute forcing it, so it's the same thing, right? It, it effectively, yeah. But I would ideally like to like. Yeah, I mean, I could, so and I'm sure my solution would fail in all sorts of ways. But I don't want it necessarily to be foolproof. Right, and in the end, are you planning to write a formal definition of SRDs? I mean, it seems like no one's done it, so it'd be cool to just say like. Run like run it through this validator, and if it if there aren't any warnings or errors, then it's a valid SRT. I was more thinking about like a formal definition, like uh, I mean, a grammar for it or something. Yeah. So well, I mean, in the process, I'll be writing a grammar, so that's the next step, really. That I was like, I'll write a grammar for SRT files, and like publish that, or write a document, or if like if I'm lazy enough to say like here's the tool, there's a grammar in there, but this is the SRT format. Um, and maybe I, I doubt it would ever get to the point where I'd force FFmpeg to change their implementation. But well, you can send a PR. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not ready to see. I can't see. No, I can't do that. <laughs> so uh, so that's where I'm at right now. Uh, yeah, that's bas basically it. It's a fun project, but as I said, I always usually find sub projects within my projects and then like start the sub projects but never finish the original project. So I don't feel too bad about it, but this one I'm, I'm hoping to finish. Right. Would it be your first project you would finish? Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always, I'll always start, but never get it to a state I'm happy with, you know. Right. Honestly, it's kind of hard to say like something is finished because yeah. you could work on it infinitely. For example, like my Rust key application, initially it was only a putting images, but after talking with you, I outputted in the terminal, so now you can do like directly the ask in the terminal. And afterward, I was thinking about using it in an Android application to like use your camera to directly do the ask, but I was like, nah. Okay, it's uh, too much effort. Yeah, yeah. let's do another project, and I don't want to do Kotlin. Yeah, I don't feel too bad about not finishing, because I still take away stuff, but sometimes I like feel bad in that I don't have something to like show for it. But then again, I mean, I don't feel like I have to, yeah, exactly. in a sense. Because like, we are not doing projects for other people. Exactly. It's it's really just for for fun and for knowledge and for learning and self-advancement and, and stuff like that. And I'm the only one who can judge that, I guess, uh, judge when I'm done with a project or not. And I do feel like I don't like to do big projects on the side because at some point it just feels like work. Right. And so I ideally like to like scope it down to something as small as possible so that I could have a reasonable chance of finishing it, but also I don't want it to become a chore. Yeah, right, a fun uh, bite size. Yes. All right, I think we did, We talked about what we wanted to talk about today. I guess uh, if, if you guys care, we can do an update to this in like a few months and see if we actually finished uh, our <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, if like, started anything else that's worth sharing in the meantime. Cool. So I, we have a new idea for next week. So I don't remember if in the last podcast we said we would be 
doing distributed system. But I think we did. All right, we will be doing this in the future. Yeah, that was a lie. We're sorry. We changed our mind. Yeah. And let's not announce what the next oh. one will be. <laughs> just in case, no, just in case we change our minds again. It'll be a total surprise. I don't mind. It's fun. <laughs> I want to say it. Okay, fine. You can. <laughs> so, uh, next podcast, we want to talk about uh, technical debt. So, what's uh, technical debt in a project? Yeah, what it means, and um, I think we all have a sense of what it means, and it's one of those terms that people have opinions about. Oh, yeah. But hopefully, we can kind of like. I would like to dig into some established things. I'm sure there's literature out there that um, explores this area in different facets and different ways. Yeah. So next podcast would be the opinionated episode. <laughs> we'll try to make it as objective as possible, I guess. Nah. We'll throw in a throw in a few like flame wars yeah, here I, and there. I like opinions. <laughs> yeah. All right. So until next time. All right. See ya. See ya. Bye. You can contact us and find show notes on our website, randomlytyped.com. The intro music is by Vansky. Thank you, Vansky. And thank you, listener, for indulging us.